Welcome to Asset Blocks Business Owner Edition because wealth creation is different for Australian business owners. Today, we are talking about, or I should say, we're going to be dissecting our best investments, part number two. So before we get into it, let's cue the disclaimer. Charlie here from Asset Blocks, and I need to let you know that this is a disclaimer. Grant, myself, and the Asset Blocks team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you personalized financial or investment advice. We're merely sharing our own experiences and opinions, but you should absolutely seek the help of professionals before acting on anything you hear in this podcast or on our brand. This episode is super important because if you have people who have walked the wealth path in front of you before, sharing to you that it's all possible, then you go, huh. It's possible as well. And so if I relate this back to business, it's similar to actually having a mentor. Somebody who shares their experience, shares what has worked or as Charlie and I are hopefully going to be covering off in more episodes, what doesn't work, uh, discuss how they would have done it differently, etc. Uh, you start to realize that, huh, we're just human beings at the end of the day. We're, we're not special. We've just done maybe a little bit more reading or something like that. And that's exactly what we want out of these episodes. We want you to understand it's all achievable. We want to present to you different types of assets. Expensive ones, small ones, cheap ones, all these different things. So you go, huh, I get this. From Charlie and Grant's experience, I can understand what I should be doing, learn from their mistakes, and then we're hoping that you can learn from this and actually improve yourself as well. So if you're an Australian business owner who's starting out or you're trying to validate that your situation is not unique to you and that other people have done it, this episode is for you. And if you did want to be part of the conversation, head over to Facebook, join the Asset Blocks community, ask any questions. The one thing about Charlie and I is we're completely transparent. So (laughs) any questions you do ask, whether or not we would answer it, no matter what you do ask. So jump in there and be sure to subscribe, share it with anyone else that you know would appreciate this type of content. And uh, without further ado, let's get into the episode. All right, Grant, it's my turn to be the host today and you are the one being dissected. We're going to take a look under the hood at one of your investments. I will put in this at the start. Please note that Grant and I are not qualified to give advice and nor does this mean you should do the things we are doing. But at the very least, I do hope it gives you an idea of what is possible and you can support yourself with good education to reach out to professionals and work with them properly. So really fun episode today, Grant. I'm really looking forward to it. So let's dig into one of your assets today. I'm sure we'll dig into many more. I'll start with the big question and I'm going to go through this framework because I think you did an excellent job into it. Why did you buy this asset and what is it? Yeah. So I'm going to do a a typical child. I'm going to tell you a story at the start (laughs) because we're flipping the script on this one. So the interesting thing is, uh, and probably a lot of people who are listening to this have probably listened to other business podcasts or property podcasts, and everyone talks about these success stories. And you listen to them and you go, wow, I'm so motivated. I'm G'd up. This is great, right? But then you don't have the information or the secret source that they were talking about deliberately, right? Because they might be selling you a service or they might be doing these things, right? And so I've picked this asset primarily because I want people who might be saying, hey, I don't have enough money in a bank account. Or, hey, this investment and wealth creation is just a little bit out of my reach. I might need to wait six months, 12 months, 24 months. Because I was the exact same kid. I was standing outside the house looking through the window of a pretty family in front of a fireplace on Christmas Day going, why can't I be part of that family? Right? And that's exactly what I wanted to do through this asset. So is it the most expensive asset I have? No. Is it the best performing? No. 
But it's great because it was so simple. It's great because it was so affordable for everybody who's playing at home. And so I'm looking at this saying, simple, affordable. This is like the Australian dream, especially for Australian business owners where they can go, huh, this 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 is accessible to me. And the whole secret sauce, I'm going to be giving you everything, Charlie. So you can unpack whatever you want about this property. I actually love this property because of just how basic <laughs> it is as well. So uh, essentially, it's just opposite to what you might have expected from me going, ah, this is a great property worth millions or whatever it is. Uh, it is completely achievable. So at this point in my investment journey, uh, I had some property, uh, mostly overseas, a little bit here, and then shares, crypto, etc. And so I started to talk, have a lot of conversations with yourself as well as uh, Goose and Gabby from uh, buyers agents around going, okay, what is going to be my wealth journey? So I'd set my wealth goals. Um, I've already got into investing, but I hadn't really sort of locked down the assets that I was going to be going with. So I had a bit of a spread at this time, just going, what's going to work? And so that's kind of at the stage that I was at with my investments. And so this is when I pivoted most of things into property. So that's kind of where it is. And so this asset is a house. It's a property. Awesome. I love property. Big fan. I will say we're going to do other asset types as well. I know uh, we've been a little bit property biased in these asset breakdowns or uh, dissections to begin with, but there's other things. And I love that story, Grant. Too often I feel, especially in the wealth industry, everyone tries to signal with like they've got a Lambo or they post insane bank balances or something like that, but they never yeah. they never give you the recipe. They never show you under the hood. So let's unpack this one from here. So we've got uh, property. Uh, let's maybe start with where did it fit for you? Like, why did you buy this property specifically? Yeah, so this property was like a foundational property. So I know uh, in the previous episode, you were talking about, okay, well, some of the houses that we were focusing in on is like high yield, which is high rental income first, and then potential for capital growth second. And that's exactly what this property was for Hazel and I. So great, we've got some investments. Now we are looking to say, as business owners, how do we not keep looking over our shoulder to say, is crypto down? Is this changing, et cetera? And so this property was all about that. So we knew we wanted to spend more time into business and the work that we were doing at the time. We wanted to spend less time in looking over shoulder, doing trades, doing all of these kind of things. So we said, great, if we could have a property that paid for itself, aka high rental yield or yield as we'll call it, but also grows over a period of time, it's going to be a significant win for us. So, and if you do want to listen to any of the wealth goals that Charlie and I do have, uh, just head over to episode four where we dive a little bit deeper into it. Um, Because the the key here that I just want to really articulate for everybody is that as a business owner, you will look at different assets or the same assets different way to somebody else, right? And so everything I'm talking about now is because I always come to it from the context of a business owner where, yes, we could have got a negatively geared property, which means that it loses money month by month, but I can get some tax off it, offsets, etc. But again, I just want to lay over the top. The reason that we went with this one was because we're like, we just don't want to look over the shoulder and say, oh, do I need to put more money into that? So that's exactly where we're at. And so it's high rental yield as well as high growth or some kind of growth. We care less about the growth, more about the cash flow. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you to give negative gearing a better rap, I don't want to like blatantly go after it. If you're in a certain type of employment, it can be great, right? If you've got secure income, you can potentially get more growth. But the downside of it is you sacrifice that cash flow. And I know it's one of our kind of founding 
principles here that we don't want to pursue investments that require us to continually push cash into them because of the risks as a business owner. Would you consider this then, I know you haven't gone completely high yield, which is the other end of the spectrum, which is like pure cash flow. Would we categorize this as a bit of a blender? This is one that sits in the middle. Yeah, it's definitely a hybrid. And I always think of it like if you put 100%, where would I lean? So as opposed to it's just like priority one, priority two, priority three. I would go, you know what, I'm happy with 60% of the focus being yield and like 40% being growth. But if, and we're going to get into a minute, like the process of sort of how we went around buying and stuff. But if someone presented me a property that was like 70% yield, 30% growth, I'd probably still consider it. Or even if it was a 50-50, I'd probably still consider it. So I see them as like bands of going, great. Like I don't want someone to say, here's a 100% yield, but over 10 years, the property is still going to be worth the same because it's just, it doesn't help me. I'd much prefer to make less money month on month for that growth as well because I want both in my asset. Yeah, and you definitely can get, I like hybrids better than blenders. Like I think a hybrid uh, type thing and they, they exist in every asset class, I will say as well. Like Always. it's not exclusive to property. You can definitely get those in shares and uh, crypto and the like as well. Okay, uh, so wealth goal ticked here. Like we know this supports where you're trying to head uh, with your wealth goal. Can you tell us more about the property? Yeah, so uh, the process that we went through was... Um, so Hazel and I, with my lovely wife, uh, sat down and as we always do, we talk about, well, okay, well, our wealth, goals, where are we going to take it? some of our wealth creation? Uh, we were looking at some of our investments at the time and we're just like, okay, they're not working as well as we had of hope, taking a little bit more time than we thought. And the one thing I will say, was, it was kind of like that niggling in the back of your head where I would constantly check, right? Like most people would understand when they've either bought their first share, first property, first crypto, and they just like refresh the page. Or like they just want to keep checking. Yeah. It's like the, the phone apps, checking. the phone apps, right? Phone Get it out. You're just always checking. <laughs> and that was it. And so it was like, well, how do we do these things? It's, it's almost like it forces you to not check because it's great. Great. Cool. We can settle in there. And so first thing we did was it was like, cool. Another property is going to be the best thing for us. Let's go and dive into that. Um, can can so, I ask you a question there? Was there any was, resistance from, you know, I won't name her unless you like, although you probably already have on the podcast, but um, yeah. was there any resistance from your partner, Grant? Yeah. So Hazel... So there, there was, right? So if I, before, even prior to this property, and uh, I'm going to go into detail, it's completely fine. So there was always a resistance around paying a, a price for experts. And I'm going to be completely transparent on this because experts can be quite expensive, especially when, well, perceivably expensive, I'll say, right? So when you have an expert that's going to go and help you buy a property or buy shares, et cetera, right? They're not, you're not talking pay, about paying someone $50 an hour. You're talking about paying significant amount of money for a, a good service that should render you an ROI significantly greater than the service you're paying, right? But there is always this uncertainty of someone who hadn't done this quite a lot. Now, in business, I've paid for like mentors. I've paid thousands a month for mentors. I've paid for services, advisors, accountants, all these things. So it's like a second nature to me. So getting a buyer's agent, mortgage broker, a better accountant, all these things. Yeah, I get it. Employees paying for it. And so for Hazel, who had been sort of an employee, she had a couple of businesses herself. It was this, are we sure that we can get the buyer's agent's feedback? Like the typical resistance, we, we, we should be able to go and find those properties ourselves. We should be able to go and do those things. And it's like, well, no, the difference is they spend every waking moment of their life thinking about how can I find a really good property? How can I get really high yield? 
Um, and so, yeah, there was a bit of resistance uh, originally. And then sort of by, by the time we got to this house and more houses, it was just like, when are we going to pay Goosey Gabby again? <laughs> it was like, that was like the, the, the foot on the accelerator. It's like, second you pay that invoice, we're getting a house. But right. And so, yeah, to your point, that was the, the biggest sort of barrier and hurdle. But then, um, to, and credit to Goose and Gabby and the team, like having conversations with them, they were very supportive through the journey. And then uh, talking to yourself and talking to other people that we know that had used them, Hazel's just like, great. This is, it seems like it's the, going to be the best decision that we can possibly make, but it's also the returns on the other side. It might not be in 12 months, 24 months, it might be five, six years, is going to have that compounding effect versus us trying to do it ourselves, plus take us away from a whole heap of other things in the business, a whole heap of other things in our personal life that we didn't want to do. So, yeah, it was not an easy journey for a personal perspective because it just took time, took conversations and some hard conversations and some difficult ones. But, yeah, we got there in the end. And now, it's now, as I was saying, like it's literally like, when are we going to pay them again? <laughs> when are we going to get them again? I thought it's interesting, right? Because as business owners, we often will pay for quite expensive services or mentors and this definitely relates. But there's this extra layer because, I mean, if you hire a mentor, let's say, and it costs you 20 grand and it doesn't work out, maybe you lose 20 grand. It was a waste of money. You take it back, like your uh, stop loss or your cost to undo may not be as high depending on what you execute with them. With uh, property though, like you're potentially borrowing hundreds, if not millions of dollars over the time. So if you get a wrong move, like it can have severe consequences. And this is where the money psychology things uh, comes into a, a bit. I, and I admit, I'm, I had the same resistances uh, within my own uh, setup, but we'll continue on here. We'll talk about the parts at another point. Tell us more about the property. Yeah, awesome. So, uh, so then we went and so we had the discussion. We said, "Great, let's go another one." Uh, so the first thing that we did was we went and talked to a lender. Now, I am going to put a caveat. So there is a challenge that we came up with after the purchase of the house that I'll mention later on. So we used a lender that was not uh, Aaron. So we had Aaron Wybrow on the podcast before. Uh, so we used a lender who was not Aaron, and I'm going to share to you horrible. It's not a horrible story. It's just not great based on where we're trying to get to. Uh, so lender said, yep, cool, you can borrow. I can't remember what it was. It was a similar story to yourself. I think it was like $900 million. Or some, I can't remember what, 900000 or a million dollars. I can't remember exactly what it was. It might have been eight fifty. But he's like, you can go and buy whatever you want to buy. You'll be completely fine. So the next one, great. Goose Gabby, let's jump on a blower and have a conversation about this. Um, and we said to them, we said, okay, cool. Like We want to try and find a place. I think it was just under like $500. we are like, we are looking for a place just under 500 um, but as I always say to most people is if you do find something that's a lot cheaper that you just think is a great purchase, don't like waste the opportunity. Like let us know because, hey, that's fine. We'll just go again, right? And so we gave them the caveat of saying like we're landing at around 500. I think it was like between 400, 500. But if there's just this amazing opportunity, just give it to us because you might be surprised. We'll probably end up taking it. Um, and so... That was the process that we went through. And yeah, so the, the house itself is located in central Queensland, over near the ocean, near some, some of the port cities. Uh, some great thing about the little location is that it's not dependent on sort of one industry for its income, right? So it does have a pretty good spread. Uh, and it's got a really quite a strong local economy. We bought it around, I think it would have been like March or April 2021. Uh, probably towards the end of March, I reckon. Uh, it was t- pretty typical house in Queensland, right? You know, the, the two stories, everyone lives upstairs and there's like this mud room. If people haven't been to these houses, it's like a, 
It's not I think a two they call them a Queenslander. It was like it was a single and then they lifted it up and now there's extra rooms underneath. Exactly but I just want to that. jump in on a point there, though. You've got a really good point um, about you spoke about diversity in the area, about it not being reliant on one like location. I'm sure you've heard similar stories, but do you not find that when people get into trouble with property, particularly is like they went to a mining town where the whole town was dependent on the mine or a certain factory, like maybe there was a massive supplier there or manufacturing. And then once that uh, changed, I think this happened with the Ford and Holden factory. Yep. Like when they closed, it had the massive impact on the economy there in Adelaide. And then uh, there's endless mining towns in Perth that took off and still haven't recovered um, because once that's changed. So I think there's a little interesting insight in this breakdown of like how you've uh, reduced your risk a little bit. Yeah, definitely. And it's... And I actually think we'll end up doing an episode around how do you sort of identify some of these things in different types of asset classes, right? Because probably there's a whole heap of things that it's just a good barometer to say, okay, like, is this going to work for me? Yeah, so it was like, to, to that point, uh, two-story, like, lifted house. And it's, so the lower level is too short to claim any room space, right? So you can't, so if you've got rooms downstairs, you can't actually say they're rooms or bedrooms or anything like that. But uh, upstairs, it's four bedrooms, two bathrooms. It's got a two-car garage, which is connected to the house. So you can literally get out of your car and walk up the stairs inside the house, into the house, which is awesome. Uh, it's got a carport and it's on a, about a 600-square-meter block. But it is the most basic house you could ever see. Like, it's got some trees at the front. <laughs> it's, you just look at it and it's like, it's a house. Like that. It's pretty simple. Okay. Is it, and is it a single dwelling? Like one person rents the whole thing? Is it a, uh, like, is there any multi uh, income streams from it? Is it on a block of land? Like, how does it work? Yeah. So it's single dwelling. So it's just one tenant, a uh, single block of land. Uh, the block of land is not amazing. Like, uh, we couldn't do subdivisions or anything like that, but it's just a big backyard. So people who've got dogs and things like that love it. Uh, so it's great for renters. Um, and so, and downstairs, again, it's just connected to the house. So there's no real possible chance for us to sort of split that out and have dual income. So it's just going to be a, it's a pretty much a buy, set and forget, buy, set and walk away. Like the, which is exactly why I brought this property up because it was like the most basic purchase I've ever seen in my life. It can be really advantageous to go that way when you're a business owner. If you're busy with business, you don't want to take on projects that chew up a heap of time. Okay. So we're going to go deeper on it from here. Uh, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but how long have you owned the property just to set the rest of this conversation? Yeah. So today is uh, start of February, 2022. So I bought it around March, 2021. So just under a year, call it 11 months, 10 months-ish. Oh, awesome. And then did you have to do anything when you purchased it? Like this is one of the things I feel is not really discussed is like you buy a house and you think, oh, cool, I've paid my stamp duty, got in all this stuff. And then there's often like repairs that are needed, maybe you need to do some renovations. Um, take us through what happened at the start of this property. Yeah, so it was, it was interesting. Like We got the photos and the real estate agent obviously hadn't done a very good job. Like the, I still remember this photo of the bathroom and there was toilet rolls, like finished toilet rolls on the ground, right? And so I was weird. So we were looking through all of the photos and the building inspection photos and just like looking at things. Okay, well, how can we make this more rentable? Um, and there were some things that just stood out. So like the paint was flaking on some of the garage doors, uh, if I remember correctly. And then there was a, I called it the rainbow room. So there was this sunroom out the back that they had literally painted as a rainbow for kids. It was obviously a room and it was just the most hideous room I'd ever seen in my life. Uh, and then if you went downstairs, uh, it was, it was a great 
uh, awesome sort of concrete floor, but all all the brickwork was exposed. Like it looked like it looked damp and it looked like not really inviting. So what we did was we painted the garage. Obviously, we painted the rainbow room just to be white, <laughs> and then uh, and we painted downstairs. Just painted on top of the brick, make it white, just so it's a little bit bright, a little bit more appealing. I think it was just an off white or something like that. Um, and then we did the usual fix a door that's got a hole in it <laughs> and like some of the window fixings and stuff like that. But all in all, I think we spent, I don't know, it would have been just under $5,000, which seems to be like the magical number. If you ever buy a house that's like a, not a brand new dwelling, just know you're almost always going to spend <laughs> on just random things unless there's something structural or something more important. Like this $5,000 bucket just always happens to appear. Yeah, which is tax deductible, by the way. But I, I do like that. I think it's good to set a little budget. And once you know it, if you're going into property, you just kind of expect it, right? It's yeah. Kind of Every single property in. we have, we always have a bucket of like five to 10,000 of just miscellaneous stuff. And yeah, you just completely. be like, how does someone always have a hole in it all? I know we've talked about that. It's just like weird. All right. So let's go a little deeper into this one. Let's start talking about some of the mechanics and particularly the financials. How much did you spend on this property? So this one, so the reason I picked this one is I think it's the cheapest house that we've got. So it's 282500 is what we spent. So that we're asking, I think it was just over 300 uh, or 310 or something like that. Um, and so the team over at Dashdot, just, it was just on the market for quite a while. Uh, vacancy rates were, were awesome and they just negotiated this down. It was a very, a very proactive seller. Like they wanted to sell this property. Um, that had an offer that had fallen in. I think that was like subject to finance that didn't go ahead. So like they were, it's almost like this great position where people had just become more and more sort of desperate to sell and they're just like, cool, great, like need to sell this property. So yeah, so we bought it like 20, 30 grand below what they were asking, which was which was awesome. Nice pickup. Now, were you? this is something I've been dying to ask you and waiting for this portion of the interview when we get to price. Were you surprised to find a property for this price? Like you've always been someone that's in Victoria. We go to Sydney often, exposure to uh, like Brisbane or maybe the Gold Coast. And if you were to flick open your realestate.com.au app, it's like you're just potentially looking at seven figures in most of those areas now. Exactly. And that, so, yes, it was. So, to go back to the process and the journey that we walked through, we, so Goose and Gabby obviously present houses, but what a lot of people don't understand is that just because you put an offer on a house doesn't mean it's yours. Right. So we put offers on houses before this one. So we put offices, uh, offers on houses in, I think there was some in, one in WA and one in QLD, which we just didn't get. Uh, one of them took it off the market because they realized how good the value was. And I'm like, yeah, surprise. Um, and then I can't remember what happened to the second one. And so this was almost like the third one that we went with. And so when they said, I don't know if you're, this is what you're looking for. This is quite an affordable house. Like it's, but this has popped up and we're just like, this is way too good. Someone has to take this. And, deal for you i'm like what like quarter of a million dollars like what what do you mean like there are houses available for two hundred eighty-two thousand dollars, and like and they've got which we'll get into a minute good rental yield like i was looking at this property i'm like the land value plus the dwelling like you couldn't build that house and buy the block of land for less or the same price that i was buying the property for like it was, that was like the, the equivalent that I was looking at, especially now as it gets more expensive. I'm just like, the blocks of land in the house. It was like, it's like it was undermarketed. It was undermarket value. And so I was taken aback that those things kind of exist, especially for that price point. Cause I'm like, I'm from Melbourne. Everything's a million bucks to your point. Like I'm like, what? <laughs> what is this? 
I uh, remember the moment when I got sent a property um, that was like 300 grand, like roughly about the same price as this. And like my expectation on what it would look like, I was like, well, this must be a disaster zone in the middle of nowhere. Like there'd be no one there. And then I'm like reading about the population, the incomes in the area, what the people do. And I'm like, I have been living a very sheltered life. You should see there's so many different parts of Australia. Yeah. The views from this place are amazing. Like it's it's kind of up on a hill and it's got these rolling hills, <laughs> these green lush behind it. Um, and it's like the house itself. I, I would live in the house. Like I think it's fantastic. I was just like looking at this thing. I'm like, what? Like, uh, yes, Melbourne and Sydney have slapped us around a bit. <laughs> so we, we've got our price in at 282500 for purchase price. Uh, negotiated down well, I would say. And I, I love you really brought up there that uh, cost to replace if you had to replace this, like you've got a margin of safety kind of built into it as well, which I, I quite like. How much of a deposit did you have to come up with to create that? Yeah, so um, 20%. So we, Hazel and I, whenever we buy a property, we never go below 20%. Uh, there's some pretty obvious reasons, but like we can we can get into deeper reasons as to why uh, in the future. But the two obvious ones I'm just going to mention now is we don't have to pay lenders mortgage insurance, which if we go less than 20% on like a typical dwelling, unless it changes, um, you need to pay lenders mortgage insurance, which is just a fee to the bank to ensure that, hey, the deposit you're putting on your house is less than we'd like people to put on. Uh, and the second one is that it helps cash flow, right? So if we've put in a, a good amount of money, then we know that the cash flow that we'll get out every single month is obviously going to be better than if we just leverage the debt. Yeah, absolutely. And stamp duty on the property? Perfect. Yeah. So deposit was uh, 56500 uh, stamp duty was it was just over eight thousand uh, dollars. For memory, it was like eight thousand three hundred and something dollars. I looked at the statistics, the numbers just before this, so we'll call it eight thousand. And then I'll continue running through them. Uh, legals was about two and a half thousand. Uh, buyer's agent Goose and Gabby, hi if you're listening to this, was about thirteen thousand. Um, inspections like building inspections, pest inspections, all those kind of fun things. Uh, we had two building inspectors go out on this one. The first one was mediocre, uh, so we actually had a second one who went out. Um, and, and Goose and Gabby helped us with the very first one, which was awesome. So that cost us about $1,000. So all in all for the cost of the property, uh, for upfront, I'll say, the upfront cost of the property before any sort of repairs or anything like that was $81,000. So all in for 81000 Yeah, all in. I tell you what, this is a surprising thing when you look at like uh, the deposit requirements on Melbourne and Sydney. I'm just going to pick on specifically like uh, astronomically higher than that. And I'm not saying they wouldn't make a great investment, but if you're not in a position to explore those routes, it's nice to know there's other options out. Like this is a, a good entry level or even great foundational property of that pricing. And the stamp duties between like Victoria, New South Wales, Queensland, et cetera, are so different. Like I remember the property you ran through, I think it was like twenty five, twenty six thousand dollars $26,000. And that was a $600,000 place. So mine's half the cost, right? But the stamp duty is what a third again probably something we'll cover in a future episode is just how different all the states are in australia when it comes to purchasing and selling property and all the rules around that but a good one to note in as well grant so talk to us about the ongoing cost now so if we're all in for this now that you've got the property up and running and done your repairs of the rest of it what what does it represent for you like on a monthly basis now yeah perfect so uh the final point that i would just make so we did five thousand dollars worth of repairs as we were saying before so you can kind of, we'll factor that into a little bit of what year one and beyond looks like. So the current ongoing costs, uh, so we've got a mortgage, which is great. And I'll, I'll share my horror story in a second. 
Uh, so it's an interest-only mortgage, and it comes in at it's like super cheap. It's like two point six seven percent, I think it is. Uh, and so that runs as four hundred ninety-seven dollars a month. So call it five hundred dollars a month just for the interest-only mortgage. Uh, council rates, uh, Queensland, especially sort of central Queensland, is a little bit more expensive for council rates than uh, sort of parts that we would see in Victoria and New South Wales. And so that's at three fifty a month. And again, these are approximates. It might be like three forty-two or three fifty-eight. I'm just trying to make it nice yep. and easy numbers for us to calculate. Uh, insurance is one hundred and twenty dollars per month, um, and I actually think I can get that down. I'm going to go to a new provider when it's up for renewal. Uh, property management is one hundred and sixty per month, which is about 05 percent my rental income good zone and then yeah and then the, the budget for maintenance and i just always have the same budget it's like 200 dollars a month so there'll be like six months where i don't spend any of that and then they'll say hey we need a new thing uh and we'll go and replace it and fix it which we'll get on to in a in a second uh so all in all the current costs per month that it runs us is about 1330 approximate like ups and downs like depends on the months so if i didn't have to do any maintenance it's like 1100 and maintenance 1300 etc and what's the rent so the rent when we bought it so get this so 282,500 rents out of the gate 450 bucks per week (laughs) and before we didn't even list it so the property manager that goose and gabby introduced us to is absolutely amazing at this place uh, so she had a house that was available for rent around the corner. And then I, I said, cool, we'll use you for ours. They had 14 people that had immediately applied that they had rejected. And they just said, can you please just drive past that house and tell us if you want me to put your application in for that house? Um, and so someone, like they drove past, we had like four applications before anyone saw inside. They just saw the listing on, on real estate inside because we said, yeah, just share the, those photos with them. Uh, and it was rented before it even settled. <laughs> like it was, so it like had zero vacancy and it was, it was just awesome. Great property manager, uh, good market. People like, there's just not that much supply in the area that we're in. Um, so 450 was, was where we started at and it's just about to go up to 460. So we've just bumped it up by 10 bucks a week. So it's, we'll say at the time this is released, it's 460 a week. Fantastic. And what was the, uh, so two questions I have on that. What's the yield on the property? And then just the monthly cash flow or weekly cash flow, like is it positive, negative? And if so, how much? Yeah. So the rental yield on this is awesome. So just 8.5%, just fall off your chair on that one, Charlie. Like it's, for it's me, it's like, yeah, it's, it is the highest rental yield that we have got. Um, and so uh, what was the other question? Like, What's the profit that we're making on it? Yeah, so if I'm yep. going to assume that's positively geared based on 100%. those numbers, but uh, when you take into account your monthly costs on the ongoing, is this like putting I don't know a hundred bucks a week in your pocket? I think it's around there, but how close am I? Yeah, so it's six sixty a month. So it's a bit. It's just under eight thousand dollars per year, and that, that's obviously before like income tax or anything like that. Um, so if you took that down to a week, it's about one hundred and fifty bucks a week that we're making. It's uh, just on this, so it's obviously positively. Cash flow. Now you mentioned you've had this about a year. Uh, now, have you had it revalued since? Like, obviously, Queensland's been going through a boom. The vacancy rate of like it being settled so quickly, which I will just expand upon. Often, when you buy a property, I've had experiences where it might be vacant for a couple of weeks before someone moves in, and you would obviously need to cover those costs in that time, which can add to your expense. But um, talk to us about the valuation. Yeah, awesome. So uh, we did get it revalued. Uh, so we 
We bought it around that March, April time. We got it revalued in December, which I will say, uh, again, appreciation to Dashdot. They actually go and do my <laughs> revaluations. Like I didn't even ask for it. They said, hey, we did a revaluation on your property. This is what it is. Ah, thank you. This is great. Uh, so it came, so we bought it for 282500 um, we did like $5,000 worth of fixes and improvements at the start. I will say that we've spent about another $6,000 on fixes throughout the year. So like the end net for us after the entire first year has only been like a couple of thousand, it's like $1,000 if you exclude the initial maintenance that we did. So we had a hot water service that broke, which was like $3,000. We had a, a shower screen that was broken that was like $800, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so we just had to fix these things. So, um, but nothing really added to the value of the property. So the reason I was sharing that is there's nothing that you look at the house and go, oh, cool, there's a new shed or there's something that's the value of this property. So it's like stagnant. So the property, we bought it for 282500 and it is now valued, and this was two months ago, at $349,000. So it's about, what's that, about a $70,000 increase. So we put in 81000 as our deposit. 86 if you want to include the maintenance that we did when we first bought it and it's already sort of brought us in just real growth if you exclude the cash flow uh, about $70,000 just under 12 months. It's really fulfilling that uh, premise you bought it for right like it's this hybrid where you have had a little I would say substantial amount of capital growth in that time obviously Queensland is in a great market but also that rent has covered a lot of the costs of repairs and things as well so nice hybrid play there so I'd say has fit the bill on that one. Definitely definitely and so the future play for us on that as well, just to continue on that point. So it's, it, ha, it has exceeded our expectations. And granted, like properties aren't going to go up that much <laughs> all the time. But it's just that Australia in Queensland at the moment has gone through a, a significantly increase. So all those considering like we are blessing that, hey, bought at the right place, bought at the right time, this is great. Um, but yes, yeah, definitely exceeded our expectations. And so like the future plans for us on this property is... We're just going to hold it, see sort of see it as a good foundational property. If it, it brings us in six sixty on kind of a bad month, if there was maintenance to do on it, eight hundred and fifty. If it's a pretty good month where we don't have to do any maintenance, um, just hold it, enjoy the cash flow that it's bringing in, and invest that into other properties. Uh, but in the future, don't know what we will do with it. Like in five years, ten years, as our investment strategy changes, uh, which is sort of the core part of asset blocks because you kind of build your your asset blocks at one at each time. And so as we get into the next block, the next block, the next block, uh, uncertain. We might sell it and pay down some debt. We might sell something else and pay this one off. It just depends. But at the moment, the future plans is to hold on to this one, enjoy the cash flow, uh, use that to make banks happy so that they want to lend us more money because, again, it's more income that we've got. So banks lend us more. Um, yeah, and just keep using that. So long hold in the portfolio for now, uh, but maybe assess down the road at another point. I like that as well. So future plans are nailed there. I really like that you've got a uh, mindset. I think this is healthy for investors is like you're having a great run, but humbling it down to going, I don't expect this every year. Like markets go up and down and there's cycles and a whole bunch of factors that can affect property prices itself. So it's like we kind of want to be expecting that. It's like that $5,000 of repairs when you buy it. It's like if you're not expecting it, it's really painful. Um, if you're expecting to be in and no more costs and then more costs comes up, it can be frustrating. So if you're expecting your properties to go up every year, like that can be quite um, a dangerous mindset to have or at a certain rate every year. I like that a lot. So let's go through uh, the next section here. We've gone through the uh, future part of it now. Let's talk about the risks. Like take me through it. 
So <laughs> my, my background is project management. So like risks and issues is like my bread and butter. So and funnily enough, Hazel, my wife, is also like project management. So you can imagine the conversations, just how sterile they are, they are at our place going, well, what are the risks and how are we going to mitigate these things? So the interesting thing, before I even jump into that, you get the typical risks of buying a property, right? Like, oh, is there going to be structural or roof issues, which in a contract is pretty much covered that, great, like you can negotiate it out or just say, I'm not going to purchase this house. Um, we have seen the buyer pulling it before. So we knew that was a potential risk. So we go, great, like this is something that we're just going to have to factor in. Um, but finance was also another risk of going, cool, can we get finance quick enough? Can we do all of these things? Because uh, in future episodes, and we've all already kind of talked about structures and corporate structures and we're going, where does this kind of risk sit? Uh, but the interesting thing about the financial risk was when Goosey Gabby presented it to us, it was like, well, there is no financial risk of this. Like, it's not, the, the amount was just not that great. It's cool. Like if we could not get finance, we have other ways just to pay the house off. Like it was, just, it was never a problem whether it went 20, 30, 40, 50% deposit. So it was just, okay, this is cheaper than we anticipated. Um, but one of the, the bigger risks that we actually had was timing. So this was at the time that we were pushing to buy more investment properties. And so as we would know, like when you're buying a property and you've got someone like a, a Dashdot who is Goose and Gabby who are going out and looking for them, not always do you have these opportunities just sitting on, on a bench waiting going, hey, just grab me. Sometimes you, sometimes you need to wait for them to pop up or sometimes you need to look, they need to look in different areas to go and find them. And so for us, one of the challenges that we had as a risk was if it took too long, we were actually going to potentially impact our next house and our next house and our next house. And so timing for us was a risk where, hey, if it took too much longer um, or the, like if it took three months, four months, five months, then we're actually going to start losing money because we want to be in the market. We want to be in the market. Uh, and as you saw with some of these returns, like it was important for us to get in quite quick. So we're very fortunate that it took two months, but we were putting offers on houses and we were getting uh, not able to purchase them. Um, but that was uh, one of the risks that we had faced. Yeah, it's an interesting one, that one, because uh, like you don't want to rush into a bad investment, right? So if you've got a, I've got a window to purchase or you want to buy multiple properties, sometimes just the nature of the financial year, Christmas breaks, uh, what you're doing for work, opportunities, cash flow in your business can all play a factor. But on the other side of things is like in a hot market, it's like to get these opportunities can be rare. You've got to be completely ready to seize them as well. So there's this fine line between being ready to go and being patient. But then if you are too patient or too risk adverse, you can miss great opportunities as well. Agreed. I wholeheartedly agree. All right, now do we get to go on to the uh, fantastic section I look forward to here? Because this one's got an interesting finance uh, story. Can we go through the challenges on this one? Like was there any challenges? And I've hinted at one here, so we'll go with yes, but take us through the challenge, particularly the finance so, one. I think there's some powerful lessons in it. Yeah, so I will say like the reason that I chose this this property, this asset specifically is because it's so boring. It's so cookie cutter except for this one little caveat, which wasn't even buying the house or it wasn't the house itself. Like it was kind of something that's impacting me now. Um, so like for the first thing that I will say is there were like no challenges in this property. It was like, if you could have like a case study of like how to buy a property the world's simplest way and get a good return, like this is it. It's put in an offer, offer accepted, settlement set, finance approved, a person's moved in before like you even list it. It's like we didn't even pay listing fees for it. Like great rental yield, 
12 months later, 70 grand on top. Like it was like, it was just this thing, which is like the most boring property. Like you could, like we did almost nothing. And it was just like, and now we're making what 150 bucks a week. Just going, okay, cool. Like it's, and we just never, never look at it, never talk about it. The property manager, if there's something breaks, they just fix it. And so in the purchasing and the last 12 months of the property, no, like no real challenges, like there'd be nothing. I feel like you can only appreciate that now since you've done other purchases. They certainly can get complex and challenging. I've certainly had some monster experiences myself as a view, but continue on. Yeah. It, and so I will say like that. Yeah. So from that point, awesome. But what I didn't realize, and I'm going to tell, share this story was, so I was using a mortgage broker that, that wasn't Aaron. And I'm going to caveat this, that I wish it was Aaron from DNF. Like it was, it was just completely different. And, and so the, the challenge that we faced was so we got recommended a mortgage broker and I had calls with a mortgage broker and I was like, great, like this is someone that we've never used before. And was, this is what we've done up until now. This is what we're doing now and this is where we're going to. So I, was, I bought properties, buying properties, buying more properties, right? So as you understand, this is important. Making sure that we're not pigeonholed is important. We need to make sure that everything we can like refinance, we can move things around, we can do all of these things. Yes, Grant. Yes, Grant. Yes, Grant. Got your Grant. Awesome. Cool. I've communicated to you my expectations of where you're going to take me on this. Great. Uh, so we said the first thing that we want is we want finance at this property and we want principal and interest. And the reason I always do principal and interest is because I want to understand what's, what it's going to cost if I did want to get that type of loan. Uh, do I, is my rental yield still going to cover a principal and interest loan if I wanted to turn it that way? Um, and then once I get, cool, you've got an approval, fantastic. Let's just change that principal and interest to like an interest only, right? And that's what we did. And it was all well and good. The only thing that had changed is I said, I want an interest only mortgage. And he said, yes, I did not define if I wanted a fixed rate, a fixed interest rate or a variable interest rate, interest only home loan. So I just said, I want interest only. And he said, Grant, I gotcha. And I said, awesome. You understand where I'm going? I don't need to sort of look into the details of this. So I got all the paperwork, signed all the paperwork, did all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, awesome, great interest rate, happy days, high five each other. Thank you very much for helping out. Settlement went all good. And then I was doing like a a wrap up with Goose and Gabby, like it was a couple of weeks after. And as I was preparing to step into that, that meeting, I'm like, fixed interest rate i am locked in to this finance for the next three until 2020 i checked just before this episode up until 2023 i'm locked into a fixed interest rate and so for people who are playing at home going grant who cares it's a 2.67 percent interest rate. That's, that's insane that's amazing it's great <laughs> right? rate. It, it's it and credit to him great rate the only downside is i have to pay if i want to get out of it so i got this for three years I'm locked into it and I can't do anything until the end of that fixed interest rate. Oh, so, how fascinating. So let's just let's just unpack that one because I think the banks do an excellent job at marketing fixed rates. I do. I really do. And it's like I think when people sign up for fixed rate loans, they're like, great, I've locked in my rate. And the potential risk I believe they think they're hedging again is like, oh, rates could go up. So like, oh, well, this is great. I'll lock it in. I'll give myself some sense of urgency, not recognizing they're locking into that loan as well. Like it's not just fixed rates, like it's fixed loan. Yep. Like if you want to break the terms of that loan, it's very expensive. 
Um, and I will preface this when I say very expensive. I have heard of people and know people that have paid up to $25,000 and I've heard in other cases more to uh, break the loan term. So if you want to refinance, if you want to be able to buy other properties, if you want to change lenders, if anything comes up, you can end up with a whopping bill that would far outseed the great rate. So it's a huge trade-off. And that was the so that was the challenge for us is now we we talk about this and we will forever talk about this. Like I don't really refinance property to extract out a heap of cash to go and buy other things. Right. Why? Because it impacts my cash flow and it does a whole heap of other things and I can earn money through my business. Right. So it's that for me it actually hasn't impacted Hazel and I too much now, where it's like, wow, I have it doesn't sound like that bad a thing, but I like having an option, right? Like imagine an opportunity came through today where it's just like, oh yeah, I can almost get it. I just need an extra 20,000, 30,000, 40,000. I don't even have the option to go there and just go, cool, no worries at all. I'm just going to grab a little bit and I'm going to go this way. Like I just, it, it just frustrates me so much that I've just got this good asset with good equity sitting there that I just cannot touch and I can't do anything with, probably wouldn't even do it even if I had the opportunity. But just having the option is what stresses me out. But it really showed me uh, another part, which is having that right team. So I'm, I feel like I'm a good communicator. And Charlie, hopefully you feel like I'm a pretty good communicator. Yeah, I'll say no that. I'll put that on the record. You're a good communicator, Graham. <laughs> and I always make sure that everyone has context of this is where I'm going. This is what I'm doing. Do you understand? Because you are going to be by my side as I progress down this journey. And it was yes, 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 yes. And then it was add, no, I don't understand what that really means. Because here's a fixed interest rate, interest rate only home loan. And I'm just like, I don't feel like you understand how this game is played. And I feel like you don't really understand when I communicate these things. You don't have that expertise to really support me on this journey because you should go, yeah, just like all of my other clients, I understand sort of where you land because all of my other clients are property investors and going down the same journey. These are the things that you should look out for. And I will make sure I put bumpers here, 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 and here, and here. And if we need to make a decision, because I think it's going to impact you in six months, 12 months, 24 months, 36 months, I'll just let you know, right? And we'll just make that decision as we come to it. And literally, it was like, well, how would I avoid this challenge again? Uh, go to a different broker. And so that's what I did. I literally, I spoke to you, Charlie, and I spoke to some other people and I was like, cool, just go and get it, Aaron. And then next property went to Aaron. I'm like, Aaron, this is where we've come from. This was the story I've just shared. Uh, this is where we're going. It's like, dude, yeah, just like all of my other clients. <laughs> He's like, I get you. Don't worry about this. This is, you're in safe hands. I mean, this is one of the reasons we're doing this podcast is I feel um, in a huge way that there's so many professionals in the space that just aren't used to dealing with business owners and the unique things that come from being a business owner. We're different, right? We're wired differently. I I'm curious from your point of view, because uh, again, I take you as a strong communicator. One of the things I think you do excellent is future pacing. You always tell people, hey, this is what I'm doing next. Like, don't wreck me on this. This is my next move. Exactly. Where did it go wrong here? Was it just not understanding your position, not working with business owners? How, like from your – and you were only theorizing at this point, but I'm just curious on your take on this other broker. Yeah. And so I'm going to relate this back to business, right? So imagine you've got uh, a video editor. So I know you've got media company telling them, so we'll talk about a video editor, right? So – a lot of people at a surface level will say, great, I can go and recruit a video editor. I want videos edited. 
I'm going to go get a video editor. What they don't understand is the next level below is that there's a whole plethora of skills that sit underneath being a video editor that only time in the industry, but also editing specific types of video will you understand. Whether it's animations across the top, blending, transitions, audio, engineering, like there's so many different things that sit underneath it. So I look at this, the challenge came from, he was a lending specialist on the surface and he could go to the banks and he could get loans. That was proven, 100%. And he knew kind of how to support, like I had a good salary, Hazel had a good like salary for my business that I was taking out, sorry. Hazel had a good salary. There was no chance any bank was ever going to say no, right? Like we hadn't maxed out our borrowing or anything like that. Like we were, it was a pretty easy approval on this one. However, what he didn't understand, so he kind of understood that surface level and maybe one or two levels below, well, how does a business owner who's playing property investment work? And so that's like the difference between hiring a video editor that's like got two, three years experience or has got 20 years experience just in this one little area versus a video editor who's like, yeah, man, I got you. I got audio engineering so I can do your podcast. I got transcriptions. Uh, I got all these things in my tool belt that I can do to help you out. And that, that was the difference that I saw was on the surface, the same under, as you ask good questions, can you get approval? Same, their clients, yep, they got lending. Yes, they got lending. Yes, they got lending. But if I really compared where Aaron is to where this mortgage broker, and I won't call him out, he's a great guy and he means well and he apologized and all these things, was one has worked with business owners on getting borrowing and not just getting borrowing, but the long-term play of, okay, cool, you want 10 houses? No worries at all. I know the, the, game, the game plan, here's a playbook, this is what I'm going to work towards versus someone who's like, yeah, cool, house, 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 one by one transactions. Right, and that was the big challenge, which was you can communicate to a video editor, I want a video edited, but the depth of their understanding of going, cool, I can do that versus, yeah, man, look out for these things. That's where the difference was. Actually. Completely agree. Business owner specific wealth teams or experience with business owners and the mechanics, such a big deal here. Has there been, I mean, you've had this a year now, has there been any negative impacts on this journey at all, really? Has this property ended up, I mean, it sounds like it's going pretty well, but if you had anything on the side of this that's prevented you from doing more, like take me through that. Yeah, so uh, <clears throat> so the lending, obviously we, we haven't needed it and like we bought properties and haven't needed it. So it was more of a, damn, I don't have the option. Um, but outside of that, from a impact to the portfolio, so there's been no negative impact. It has been a positive impact. It is a great cash flow property which has helped us increase our borrowing capacity, by the way, because we've now got more income coming through, which the banks go, this is awesome, thank you. Um, and it was actually surprising the percentage of that income comparative to the loan that we've actually got on it. <laughs> like it's always like netted itself out as like, it was quite impressive. Um, and then as you progress forwards, uh, for us, I think the biggest benefit that's come out of it was me shifting my team, right? So now like that, what happened with that change of that mortgage broker was like my team literally became the people that we see and talk about on this podcast, which was like Anthony from Trovatax, you've got Aaron from DNF, and you've got Goose and Gabby from Dashdot. Like that was like someone made a mistake, which means now I've got like this perfect team that I've used and just keep using as I'm plowing forwards because it was like, cool, how do you get a good team? You put a team together, see the weakest link, replace the weakest link and keep on improving on top of it until you find this perfect mix. And now all three of them email each other and just CC me and when they're talking about like a property and stuff. And so that was the best improvement for my portfolio moving forward. It might not have been just a transactional cash in a bank. It's, it's like 
now I know how to put the foot on this accelerator and I am the roadblock. Me <laughs> earning cash, pushing the accelerator harder is the only thing slowing them down, uh, which is awesome. And that is empowering because I love it when I have a challenge in front of me because I'm just going to plow straight through that until every time that we talk, it's like, cool, here's another one. Here's another one. Let's go. Let's go. It's kind of like when you start your business and you're trying to figure out, well, who's my, who's my manager, which is the editor, like getting all the team in place is such a critical piece to like producing a video to go on with your analogy. Once you've got it, it's like you can, it's so much easier to produce the second and third video, like that cycle completely changes. So let's talk about the outcomes here now. Let's go through it. So has this moved you closer towards your wealth goals? hundred percent. And now that we're after, we're just stepping out of the very first year. So the most important Im- like improvements and fixes and maintenance is, is like done, like a hot water service, like it's brand new. It's not going to break anytime soon. Hopefully knock on wood or I wouldn't need to replace it. So the first year's done. So the next year, I reckon that we will easily hit that $8,000 a year. It'll probably even push up to potentially 10 with the rent increase, but also the decrease in maintenance unless something else breaks. Um, like it has definitely moved us towards our wealth goal, which you can hear in the previous episodes where we talk about wealth goals. Um, yeah, so 110%. Like we've got capital sitting there. We've got uh, equity sitting there. We've also got cash coming in. It's like, it's such an awesome little asset. I'm really curious about this um, next question here. I think this is a really important one. I remember when I uh, first started online that after someone actually paid me online, my perspective changed. Like yeah. I changed as a person. My identity changed once I'd made money. Um, in the investing world, I think that can be true as well. But I'm curious from your perspective and from Hazel's here, like once you'd completed this purchase, did it change you in any way? Did this make you more bullish, less bullish, scarred from the experience, excited? Like take me through it. Yeah, and it... I love this question. So it was interesting. Like previous properties had been more of a headache of like delays or financial challenges or uh, even other assets where it's like, cool, refresh the, refresh the app, keep checking in, what's the news saying, what's the FUD, like all these things. And, it's, and so this one was like the basic, the most simplest, the cookie cutter. And like we got to the end of it, just looked at each other and we were just like, how do we just do that more? <laughs> this was, it just revalidated that, Maybe we've just learned more as we've progressed that maybe there were hiccups along the way that we just didn't even know about or that the team picked up that we never even heard, right? Like the property manager, like maybe she ran into challenges and just sent us and told us, hey, this is what I'm going to fix, sent us an invoice. Like it just validated quite a few things for us. One, this road, a lot of people make it sound too scary, too challenging, like there's too many moving pieces. No, just think about how many houses get purchased every single day no this this process it all bad looks scary on the outside it's just easy uh the second one it validated the team right like at the time obviously it wasn't aaron from dnf but it validated great like everything else besides this one little mortgage like lending component worked like that that was just it was just smooth and so hey like this is like this is a recipe for success this is this is winning um and it was actually interesting because gave us more of the itch because now you've seen the results that we've got and we're getting that on, on other properties as well. Um, like our conversations are more, when are we getting the next one? When are we getting the next one? So it was like this revalidation. So to your point, it's like, imagine earning more in business consistently every single month. And then you're like, oh great, now I'm, I'm going to be able to buy a little bit better of a car that I don't have to take to the mechanics all the time. Or now I'm, going to, I'm never going to have to look at the price of uh, a, a steak at a restaurant when I'm out, right? Because I've got this business that supports me. And that was like what it was for us. It was 
great, like this is it. Like how do we open these floodgates and stop being the barrier for everyone else? Like it was just that massive validation. I can really see how people go wrong with property particular though. I can understand how there's people out there that say, look, property investment doesn't work. I think this is something you can do poorly. So it's like, um, but when you do have that good experience, just like in business, there's plenty of people that don't make money in business. Oh, don't run a small business, too risky. Yeah. Don't do it, Grant. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah. No. So there's some interesting uh, correlations in these worlds, right? Doing something well versus just doing it randomly is a very big difference. Um, so, it, I mean, awesome experience. And I'll even say it here. It's like, I think this is a, a, a great win for you. Going through this, I want to go to the alignment to the wealth concepts we talk about uh, on this podcast. So number one, did this help you with your wealth goals? I think we can overwhelmingly say yes. Uh, number two, does this uh, investment uh, that you've done here help you with inflation? And we go with yes, because you've been able to uh, use debt and inflate away some of that debt over time. Plus, you've got cash flow coming in from this to help pay for that debt, which is an awesome one. Did you use leverage? Yes, debt was the vehicle for leverage here, which I think is another one to tick the box. Um, time, is time working in your favor here? Like one of the most important things. And a year in, you can already see some of that compounding in play. And I'm going to be very curious 10 years from now. And I will mention, it's like, you know, we're not judging these uh, just on a single year. We might even do an updated um, dissection on this one down the road to see how it's doing, um, which is really cool as well. Tax. Yes, there's some tax advantages uh, to doing this property as well with deductions and things like that, um, which is really cool. Team, are you leveraging the brains of other people, even though there's one you'd probably uh, maybe not use in future? <laughs> Definitely. I haven't used him since. <laughs> and then risk mitigation. Have you put things in place um, to actually this purchase is less risky for you um, because you have it and overwhelmingly? I think that's yes as well. So ticks all the boxes here and laid, laid into where we really stand with these principles. Yeah, and I think for everyone who's playing at home, just before we sort of wrap up this episode, uh, the the real point that Charlie and I want to hammer in here, and we are going to be touching different assets, different price points, because we don't just want to use this to flex, right? Like we are going to be bringing on ones that have cost us way too much money and might not have even profited us, right? Like we, this is going to be a complete open book. We got we got nothing to prove to anybody. <laughs> Right, we are just here to help you learn, and so if if you take anything out of this episode, just know, like property is not you have to have a whole heap of money to buy a million dollar property, right? Properties, it is completely different for business owners, and it's challenging. Like you've heard Charlie's, which is like a triplex, right? That's got a bigger upfront cost, but it's great cash flow. You've got this one, which is eighty thousand dollars to purchase this, which we've almost earned back within a twelve month period of time, right? Like. These opportunities are available and the only difference between Charlie, myself and, and anyone who's listening is probably the team, right? We've all got businesses, right? Sure, different businesses earn different amounts of cash. But at the end of the day, like this is achievable. There is, depending on what income level you've got, you have this ability to buy within those means. Like it's not unachievable for a whole heap of people. So if you did enjoy this episode and you go, Grant, can you just open that cover a little bit more, dive a little bit deeper in, uh, head over to Facebook, join the Asset Blocks community. Uh, and Charlie and I are completely open books. We will tell you stories beyond stories. Uh, if you do ask questions, we'll probably do lives. We'll probably add in Q&As in there, but we'll also add these podcasts into those groups. So go to, over to Facebook, head into Asset Blocks community and join up and we'll add you in. Uh, and if you did enjoy the show, make sure to subscribe or even share it to someone else who might feel like, ah, property is a little bit too expensive for a business owner or they're just like on that edge of going, what should I be doing to step into this? Because this should help them out. 
And thank you again for joining us. And we look forward to catching you next time on the next episode of Asset Blocks Business Owner Edition.